Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, what we're going to be doing on this podcast is talking about what we've been watching. We have uh, just one piece of film news we're going to discuss. We're going to move on into an in-depth review. This week, we'll be talking about Edgar Wright's newest film, Baby Driver. Uh, Baby Driver, which at this moment looks to be his biggest movie domestically from a box office perspective. Nice. Very excited about that. Uh, We've been fans of Edgar Wright for a very long time, and this is the first time he's doing something that's really not a comedy. So uh, lots to discuss today on the Slash Filmcast. Hey, Dave. Um, You know, I bet uh, there are some new listeners that have stayed around after our Transformers review. Maybe some fans of Paul's that are maybe sticking around and, and listening to the show for the very second time. Uh, so I wanted to welcome them and, and say uh, thanks for, for hanging out. This is going to be one of our more usual formatted shows, yeah, right? Yeah, We don't usually spend an hour 40 minutes trashing one movie plot, by, uh, plot point <laughs> I by mean, plot point. more often than not. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> but welcome to the show, everyone. And yes, of course, we did have Paul Shear from How Did This Get Made on the podcast last week. Super fun episode, and an episode that was supposed to benefit, uh, not only was supposed to, was did, supposed to. Did, we decided to just pocket the money. Did benefit uh, <laughs> LA Children's Hospital. You can find uh, the episode at slashfilmcast.com. You can find the fundraiser we did at gofundme.com slash slashformers. That's gofundme.com slash the word slashformers. Uh, there's still a chance to donate to that episode. I... I I'm pretty sure I, I know the numbers for that episode, and I know how many people donated to that uh, GoFundMe. And so th- I think there's still a lot of people who have listened to that episode who have not donated to the GoFundMe yet. <laughs> there's still time to do so. Uh, we'll leave that GoFundMe open through July. Can I tell uh, so you a little funny anecdote? Tell us a funny anecdote, Jeff. So uh, all of, all of the, the money that we raised for that episode is going to L.A. Children's Hospital. Yep. And uh, just yesterday... After that episode came out, I was getting lot, we were getting lots of uh, great feedback about it, people talking about it, people donating. It was just really a, a, riding a, a wave of positivity and, and, uh, and good, goodwill. It was great. And then I, uh, I go to my mailbox and I open up my mailbox and, and lo and behold, what's in there? Uh, a letter from L.A. Children's Hospital. And I was like, what? what? What is this? This is serendipity. And I open it up and it's a bill for – when I took my son to L.A. Children's Hospital nice. not too long ago. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I guess I can't just uh, <laughs> you tell can't him just... that we just raised <laughs> eight grand for him. You, or can't, seven. you can't transfer that money out uh, of the GoFundMe, unfortunately. I was uh, uh, a little bummed by that. I was like, uh, nah, uh, guys, you're you bleeding me dry here, L.A. Children's Hospital. <laughs> well, uh, they do great work. I mean, I mean, was it a good visit, Jeff, that you had? Absolutely. I mean, it, it is, it's proof that, that you know, I, I would take my own son there because I did, and they do amazing, amazing things. And uh, we needed to see a specialist, which is why we went, went there. So uh, anyway, I, I just thought it was kind of a funny uh, serendipity of all the timing. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, again, uh, really had a blast with that episode. I, I re-listened to it, and it was just a lot of fun to hear Paul completely rip that movie apart. Um, and I'm really glad uh, for, to our listeners who, w- without whom, we would not have seen Transformers the last night. Like we just would not have watched that movie. So and we probably wouldn't have even had that idea had had some intrepid listeners, uh, you know, suggested that yeah. they pay us to see it. Yeah, so. yeah. So thanks to all the people on Twitter who tweeted us. Thanks to people in the Slack Filmcast who mentioned it to us. We really appreciate it, guys. All right. 
Um, so again, GoFundMe.com slash slash formers. You can still contribute. It is not too late. Uh, but all right, we've been asking you guys to donate to the GoFundMe, and we also ask you guys to donate to the slash homecast. Um, so let's let's do something in return. This week we are giving away five copies of The Fate of the Furious on Blu-ray. This what? is the most recent Fast and Furious movie. We all know that the best way to watch these movies is on Blu-ray. I mean, you got the highest fidelity possible, all the special features. Yeah. You can't um, contain the rock in a stream. Yeah, you yeah. can't Sorry. stream Vin Diesel. You got to you got to use all that all the special area on the Blu-ray to spread out your <laughs> diesel. All you the Ds. Yeah. yeah. Agreed, gentlemen. Agreed. So we got five copies uh, of the Blu-ray of Fate of the Furious uh, to give away to some intrepid listeners, some some fans of the show. And uh, I, I mean, I also want to mention before we, we do this that the Blu-ray will be available uh, for everyone on July 11th, 2017. Um, it's also streaming right now on Digital HD. Uh, so as of, as of this podcast, you can actually get it on digital HD. But this Blu-ray uh, will be out on July 11th, uh, along with uh, the DVD copy, the on-demand, as well as the 4K Ultra HD. But this is just the Blu-ray that we're talking about today. So if you want to enter to win one of these five Fate of the Furious Blu-rays, you got to do uh, two things. Number one, got to leave a review for the Slash Filmcast on our iTunes page. Uh, and I believe if you go to slashfilmcast.com, that, that should take you straight to the iTunes page. So just go to slashfilmcast.com and uh, leave a review for this podcast on the iTunes page. Now, I, I know what longtime listeners are saying. Uh, hey, Dave, I already left a review for you guys like uh, five years ago. Uh, well, no, no need to worry. Step two is just take a screenshot of that review. If you've already left us a review, that's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, if you... Uh, haven't left, left us a review, take a screenshot of your review uh, and send it to slashfilmcast at gmail.com with fate contest in the subject line. Uh, so screen cap the review, send it to us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. I will be checking each one of these, so please actually leave a review or actually screenshot your review uh, to be entered in the contest. Again, oh, slashfilmcast at gmail.com with fate contest in the subject line. Entries due by Friday, July 7th, 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. And unfortunately, this is only open to the U.S., so international uh, folks are out of luck for this contest. But um, yeah, for this contest, step one, leave us a review on our iTunes page. Step two, screen cap the review, send it to us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com with fate contest in the subject line. Entries due by Friday, July 7th, 11.59 p.m. Pacific time, U.S. only. Uh, and we will randomly select a winner and announce it on next week's podcast. I should say I think, five winners. I think you should leave us a review on the iTunes uh, page as a character from Fate of the Furious. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> from I mean, their perspective. Like how would they feel? I'm not going to deny that that would give you bonus points. You know? <laughs> I'm not going to deny. You, that, don't have to pick, you don't have to pick the marquee characters. You can pick a, uh, you know obscure character from the film. But I, I think how, how would they – what would they think about our show? Yeah, or you know, another thing you could do is uh, do the iTunes review, but only using car terms. You know, <laughs> only using car terms, only like speaking that. in car well, as the Jeff most Canada important thing, it. Most yeah. important thing, only speaking car. The most important thing is family, but the second most important thing is a slash filmcast. Yes, that's right. Something like that. that's right. Along those lines. All right, guys. 
so Fate of the Furious, five copies of the Blu-ray. Uh, looking forward to seeing those reviews and sending out those Blu-rays. All right, let's move on to the rest of the show. Uh, what have we been watching this week? Let's just talk briefly about that. Uh, I wanted to mention some TV shows that I've uh, finished watching. Master of None Season 2. Uh, Jeff, you've just started this. Devinder, have you finished Master of None Season 2? Oh, yeah. I mean, that first weekend, how could you How could you not? This is one of the most incredible television experiences I've had in 2017. Uh, it's a brilliant show. I, w- I will say this. I think Season 2 is a bit more uneven than Season 1. I mm. thought Season 1 was extremely consistent. I, every episode was awesome in Season 1. But Season 2, not as consistent. There were a couple of duds in there. But when Season 2 hits... It is incredible. Like the highs of season two are way higher than the highs of season one, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'd be um, interested to know what you're what you're thinking as a dud, uh, because I actually think it's all more memorable to me than season one. Even though I love so much of season one, like to me, it felt like an upgrade in every way, except for uh, I, I guess um, you know Aziz Ansari wants to really paint these grand romantic stories, and I I didn't quite buy that this time. Oh, I I bought yeah. it completely. I love it's definitely it. up your alley, Dave. Like, it's it totally is, up yeah. my alley. I actually wrote this like very lengthy blog post at DaveChen.net explaining what my favorite uh, episodes of the show are, and I really mm-hmm. like opened up about you know how it relates to my uh, like my life as an immigrant. Um, and actually, I, I, at this moment, I don't think it's going to be true when you're listening to this, but at this moment, if you Google Master of None, it is on the first page of Google results. <laughs> so I'm really happy about that. But I'll just mention my favorite episodes really quickly without saying anything from the plot because I know Jeff Kanata has yet to uh, get to these episodes. Um, but Season 2, Episode 4, First Date, I thought was really well executed. Mm-hmm. Season 2, Episode 8, Thanksgiving. That is an episode that is so beautiful that I just was left in tears. Just just tears. And I needed to take like 20, 30 minutes to just think about it after I finished watching it. It's just, it's so beautiful, so profound. Season two, episode eight, Thanksgiving. And then uh, the final two episodes of the season, just uh, masterful, no pun intended. I thought mm-hmm. it was brilliant. And the ending is perfect. And it just, the whole season is incredible uh, overall, in my opinion, and would highly recommend you check it out on Netflix. Uh, yeah, I'm catching up right now with my wife. Uh, we're, we're just kind of finishing out season one, and uh, I, I love it. I, I, one of the things that I notice about the show that I think is so refreshing and makes it stand out and makes it uh, such a breath of fresh air on television, quite honestly, is that very little of the comedy in Master of None comes from being mean, it's it's not sarcastic. It's not ironic. It's not mean spirited. It's not insulting other people. It's not one person undermining another person. It, it is. It really proves that you can sort of be wholesome and 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 positive and feel good about your fellow man and still be funny. And so much of television over the last ten to twenty years has just gone farther and farther down the road of being. So, you know, sarcastic to the point of insulting to to the characters to each other, and everybody's trying to undermine each other, and and that can be fun and funny for a while, but it's so nice to see comedy able to do something like this. Mm-hmm. There's such a sweet heart to this show, and I think even more in season two. Um, there's one episode I like that goes through like several vignettes uh, throughout different New Yorkers, including a section. Um, I guess it, it's probably not even worth spoiling. I think it it does something. 
with uh, something really interesting, like yeah. with a yeah, with a disability with that I don't usually think is don't see normal. on screen, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. so uh, it shows us a lot of new things. Yeah, yeah, a lot of interesting chances this season takes, and uh, I think almost all of them are like handsomely rewarded the chances that it takes. And so, mm-hmm. absolutely love the show, but I'm really bummed because Aziz Ansari has said there there might not be a third season. You know that mm. this has. This has basically captured this period of his life. And, you know, unless he has something new he wants to say, this is probably it for Master of None. Uh, that's a bummer, but, you know, you, you, you want to go out on a high note? You want to go out, leave them wanting more. Uh, leaving them wanting more. And I think Master of None Season 2 on Netflix certainly does that. So, mm-hmm. do you want to mention that? Uh, I thought I finished Veep on HBO this week. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I didn't really like this season as much as others but uh, like it, it just has gotten so be, beyond the uh, the fact that real life has outpaced it in terms of how ridiculous it is it, i felt i feel it has gotten so <laughs> mean spirited in a way that previous seasons weren't and i mean it uh, always really was but i guess it balanced it in a better way the the showrunner david mandel has said that oh if you think that this season is harsher you don't know what you're talking about like the earlier seasons were also extremely harsh I don't know about that. Like, I feel like, yes, she was always a terrible person, but, like, the the levels of heartlessness that happen in this season are, <laughs> are beyond anything that we've seen before. Uh, and th- but that being said, the arc of the season is tragic, and uh, I did really appreciate the tragedy of the finale, and I'm just going to leave it at that without saying anything else. Veep season, I think they're on season uh, five now? Uh, six? Um, I thought was was very good. Um, season six is is the most recent season. So, and finally, wanted to mention Silicon Valley, uh, the most recent season. Saw the finale of the most recent season and wanted to just say a couple things about it. Number one, uh, I thought Stephen Tobolowsky was awesome in this season. They gave him like a much bigger role than they did in previous <laughs> seasons, and he's very funny. Um, he did a Steve Ballmer impression, bizarrely, in one of the episodes. It was crazy. Um, so I thought he was very good and, uh, you know, really appreciate yeah. his work in this season. Um, overall, was kind of disappointed with this season as well. I feel like uh, it's just like the, this, the show has started to feel very repetitive. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah, success, failure, success, failure. Success, not Over even there. success, failure, but like unearned success, failure. Right. Unearned yeah, success, yeah. failure. Deus ex machina's out the wazoo. <laughs> uh, and then just like resetting the dynamic between characters that you know we've seen over and over again. But the one thing that really mixed things up is it was announced this past week, uh, minor spoilers if you haven't heard the casting news, that TJ Miller, who plays Ehrlich Bachman on the show, is not returning to the next season of Silicon Valley. Uh, I'm not going to talk about how the circumstances under which the character left the show, other than to say it was extremely weak <laughs> and underwhelming. I will mention that he gave a review to The Hollywood Reporter that, that was released as we were recording the last episode of the podcast. And did you guys read this, re- this uh, interview? Oh, yeah, it's pretty, insane. Pretty brutal. He, yeah. um, he comes out uh, like very strongly against... Alec Berg, who's one of the showrunners, he makes several digs against his co-star Thomas Middleditch, who plays the main character, Richard Hendricks, on the show. Uh, and just so we know what we're talking about, uh, I'll just read, um, you know, one of the uh, one of the the quotes here. 
uh, about Thomas Middleditch. Um, he says here, uh, in the interview, T.J. Miller says, I'm not an actor. And the, the interviewer says, what do you mean you're not an actor? He says, quote, I'm not an actor. I'm a comedian. And I don't know how the fuck I hoodwinked Hollywood into giving me a career in this. But I'm not sitting here saying, I need more lines. I'm not funny enough. I'm not Thomas Middleditch. End quote. Uh, so pretty brutal. Yeesh. Not not typically how you would see uh, someone talk about a show they just left. It is a very bizarre decision to leave a show at the height of its popularity, and you know, regular acting work is hard to come by. Uh, but apparently, he's a nihilist, and so this is totally uh, in keeping with his M- his mo. Uh, uh, we've also heard from many people. That like many sources, that he was a huge pain in the ass to work with on the set, and <laughs> people are very relieved that he's not going to be in the next season. So it's unfortunate that it went down like that. Uh, they did Ehrlich Bachman wrong on the show, in my opinion. Like It was really an ignominious end for that character. It's a bummer that he won't be back, that he couldn't work things out with the, the cast and crew. Uh, but just wanted to acknowledge that as we move on in this show. So Silicon Valley. Well, it, worked, indeed, it worked for Shelley Long. I'm sure it'll be great for him. Uh, Shelley Long. Remind me. Cheers. She left Cheers, Cheers oh, yes. at, the, at the height of its popularity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and went on to an amazing film career, right? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I was being a little sarcastic. <laughs> Talk about mean, Jeff. I know. Ow. Talk about sarcasm as comedy. Ow. Who does that? <laughs> All right. Only losers like me. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. I was on. Just trying to think of any other actor that left us uh, a comedy show on at the height of its popularity. and. Mm-hmm. Shelley so Long for, did. So for Grace, yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. the height of it. Yeah, and it, that's a lot of shows. Actually, yeah. a lot of shows. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, Devendra, what have you been watching? Oh, I saw the first couple episodes of Glow, the new Netflix series uh, from Liz Flahive. Don't know how to pronounce her name. And Carly Mensch. Uh, I believe they're two Orange is the New Black writers. Uh, this is a series about uh, female wrestling in the '80s, and it is. So good. I really like it. Stars Alison Brie um, as this uh, young actress who just can't quite get any roles and she finds herself in this uh, wrestling thing. And uh, Mark Marin as their coach. And he is so good in the show. Like, he is better in the show than the show named after him. So, which <laughs> yeah. is kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's all about wrestling. It's a lot about. Um, these women's lives as well. Uh, eventually, the show starts to focus less on Alison Breeze, so just like Orange is the New Black, and it opens up to tell us stories about all these different women who are doing this crazy wrestling thing. And uh, I had actually never heard about this either, but Glow was a real thing. Gorgeous ladies of oh. wrestling. Uh, in the, it was you don't a remember Glow? Show. I, don't, I never saw Glow, and I used to watch wrestling as a kid. I just never saw Glow. It was a syndicated wrestling show. Um, but, yeah, just want to throw a shout-out to this. It's, uh, I love the show. It's so well-written. Uh, dynamics are really great. And just like Orange is the New Black, I think uh, it's just so unique. It is very nice to see a show that's just focused all about telling these women's stories. It's, it gets the 80s kitsch just right. There is a talking robot because, of course, there is. So I love all the kitsch of it, too. That's Glow. It's on Netflix. Jeff, you've seen a couple episodes, right? What do you think? Oh, uh, so many people have sent me messages saying this this, this shows your jam. Uh, so you know, I'm a I'm a closeted 
wrestling fan. Uh, not so closeted. <laughs> I don't think I love... it's very closeted. You've said yeah. many times on the show. That no, no, no. I only watch wrestling inside my closet. Oh, I see. Okay, <laughs> yeah. gotcha. um, but I love, I love wrestling uh, still. And um, I love the – I'm a child of the 80s. I love the 80s. I love Mark Maron. <laughs> I mean there's a lot of things that, that uh, sync up for me to love this. But it's not – hasn't clicked with me yet. I've only watched two episodes. Oh, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's what everybody things, says. Things it felt, change a little. The first one felt real clunky and contrived and I didn't buy any of it. I mean I know it's a comedy and I know it's, it's a little heightened and, and stylized. But it just felt so contrived to sort of get all those people in that place and, and I didn't – I just didn't buy what mm-hmm. was happening. But um, – and I didn't think the comedy was great. But But – I will stick with it and I will keep watching it because it's so much of my jam. And I agree with you that Mark Maron is is really is the best thing I've ever seen him in. He was He's, like born to play this role. He yeah. really was. He really was. And people are talking like he needs to play Stan Lee now in like the <laughs> Stan Lee story. I just think that'd be so great. Was this Stan Lee or Jack Kirby? I think one of them. No, somebody was saying uh, he needs to play Stan Lee and then uh-huh. um What's his name? The guy who played the bad guy in Wonder Woman? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, should play should play <laughs> Jack Kirby. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I got to stick with this one because it has not grabbed me yet. All right, that's unfortunate. But Glow is available on Netflix. I've seen a lot of positive reviews for this one, and uh, Devendra seems to be a big fan. How many episodes in are you guys? Uh, about three episodes in right now, and yeah, okay. things start to change quite a bit. And you know, as we're talking about Netflix shows too, also worth mentioning, like they're they're canceling a whole bunch of things now, which is a little uncharacteristic of them. So, you know, I think it's a good thing though. Like Lady Boss is one of the ones they just announced they're canceling, and that show's not good. So good, like it, let's let's stop making bad TV and focus more on the good stuff. Yeah, it is a bummer. Uh, they've been canceling a lot of shows, which is not something they've t- typically done in the past. Uh, Sense Eight, Divindra, have you heard about this? This whole yes, Sense Eight so, today. It's crazy, guys. Special. Crazy. So so they canceled Sense Eight, and then there's a huge fan campaign to bring it back. And they said Netflix came back and said, "Nope, sorry, we're not bringing it back. We really tried. We tried to make the numbers work. It's not happening." And then, out of the ashes today, it was revealed that after Sense8 Season 2, there's, there's going to be a two-hour finale that Netflix is going to run. Awesome. Um, so are you caught up with Season 2, Devinger? How happy are you uh, yeah, with this? Yeah, it's, uh, it ended on a cliffhanger, and I'm very glad that there is a way to wrap up this story. Like, I, This is one of those things. The show is great. Not enough people have seen it, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's not everybody's jam, so I can understand why Netflix canceled it. I'm just glad that yeah, we, we got this. This is something I don't think a typical TV network could do. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Girl Boss, you were mentioning, Sensei. Oh, yeah, Girl Boss. Girl um, Boss. And uh, what, what did you say before? Uh, oh, I think you said Lady Boss. Did you I said Lady Boss. <laughs> yeah, uh, Lady but boss. they also canceled the other the other sad Will Arnett show, right? Wait a minute. Ladies can be bosses now? Yeah, um, Lady Boss. Flaked, <laughs> I think. Uh, they're not sure about that. Flaked well, did get a season two renewal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the show that I've been watching this week uh, falls into that category too, fellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bloodline. Oh yeah, Bloodline yeah. has been canceled after season three, and also uh, the Get Down canceled after season one, which is very disappointing. That was a massive bet. I mean, they spent over a hundred million dollars. So much show. money. Like I love that show, guys, yeah. but it's it's kind of a mess. Yeah. All right. Well, Jeff, tell us what you've been watching. Well, I finished Bloodline season three. Um, Regular listeners of the show will know how high I am on Bloodline. It's one of my wife and I's favorite show. The first two seasons are some of the most taut, slow-burning, 
tension-filled episodes of TV I've ever seen. It is just really great. Ben Mendelsohn is on fire in this show. He's just unbelievably good. And the you know, Kyle Chandler's great. The, the dynamic of this family, I've often said uh, this show could be called Lies because it's just, it's just about what it is to lie and what lying does and the, all of the ramifications of lie. It's just a deep dive into what lying will do to a family. Uh, in season three, so I went into season three uh, with mixed emotions because I was excited to get a new season of Bloodline, but I was a little bummed that this is the third and final season. Uh, and they had originally planned for at least five seasons of Bloodline. That's what the showrunners had uh, bibled out, you know, for the show Bible. And through through eight episodes, so there's ten episodes in season three. Episode eight is a crescendo. It is awesome. We learn something about one of the characters that's been around for the whole show that is feels like a a, 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 a rocket, you know, to the side of the face. It is just a, a gut shot, right? Uh, it is really powerful. It's, it's just exactly what Bloodline has been over and over and over again. Kind of unexpected, slow burn that crescendos. And then there's two more episodes. And my wife and I turned to each other at the end of episode eight and went, how the hell are they going to wrap all the loose ends up in two episodes? And it turns out they don't. Uh, in fact, <laughs> I, my wife downright got angry uh, at the last two episodes of the show to the point where <laughs> – like how I feel about Battlestar Galactica or Lost, whereas like the shows that I were loving just like shat the bed at the end. I don't feel that bad about it. Episode nine of season three of, of Bloodline is baffling to me. It is a complete <laughs> departure from the show. It, it, it goes to places that the show has never done. It becomes this weird, enigmatic it, – it, it turns into, into uh, Twin Peaks for a, a, a little bit. It's really mm-hmm. weird. It doesn't progress anything. It doesn't give you any solid information about anything. And then episode 10 has this inenviable task of trying to end things. And it really does feel – I don't think I'm saying this just because I was armed with the knowledge that they wanted to do more seasons. It really does feel like they had all these ideas and they went, okay – Let's jam them all in in the last two episodes and sh- show everybody what, where we were planning to go with all these characters really, really fast because we knew where they were going to end up and we can get them there. In two episodes, it'll be fine. Let's do it. And it just feels really <laughs> clunky and Man. bad. And it's such a disappointment for a show that I adore mm-hmm. that they had to truncate it and make it feel so rushed and so unsatisfying. There are so many things that they were – Leading up to in their typical slow burning way that just fizzle and completely get abandoned or shift gears and go in someplace else just because it felt like they didn't have time and they just wanted to shut it all down. And it, that is a massive disappointment. Would you rather have not seen like those where those plot lines were headed? Because they actually did this in Rome as well. Season two, like got super rushed at the end and it, it kind of worked. Although I still would have liked to see a more organic season there. I, I mean, I know where all the characters end up now, ish. Uh, but I almost wish that the show had just ended with with episode eight, where mm-hmm. you know it, there's this big trial that's happening in this in the whole season. Episode eight is the end of the trial, and that the show had just ended like that it would have been fine. But then we have two more episodes, and episode nine honestly is one of the most frustrating hours 
of television because it is a we are in a completely different show for a mm-hmm. little while and it is just feels like it's just spinning its wheels and kind of insulting the audience that's been along for the ride for these many many hours of TV. And then episode 10 is just bam 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 let me give it all this information fast 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 and doesn't do justice to any of it. It's really disappointing. Well, Jeff, I think you just saved me 30 hours. <laughs> it's really good all the way through, but it's like the same thing. Like yeah. People are like, oh, should I watch uh, Battlestar Galactica? I was like, yeah, but the second you hear Jimi Hendrix, stop watching. Just don't watch ever again. So I again. should get through episode eight and just not st- stop watching? I, stop. I, yeah. I, can't, I yeah. can't do that. I can't do that. <laughs> all right, anyway. I couldn't, I couldn't even get into season two of Bloodline, honestly. Oh, like, it's it, just, so good. it felt like, okay, I got that first mystery. That's good. I'm out. Tap out. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys. That's what we've been watching this week. Uh, before we move on, can I can I just take a, a, a break here to tell you guys mm-hmm. like I'm going. Uh, this is all. I'm still recording, but mm-hmm. we're. Uh, uh, I'm going to Con of Thrones this weekend. The nice. Game of Thrones uh, convention. I think the first ever Game of Thrones convention uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm really excited about that. I Unfortunately, right. by the time you're listening to this. I will have already done it, so you can't go come and see me because it will have already happened. But uh, I've loaded up a ton of movies and TV shows on my tablet, and I guess I just wanted to share it with you guys and you know see your reactions. You know, that's cool. I, I want okay. to okay. before you do that. I want to I want to ask you one thing because I always do this on trips, and I almost never even <laughs> barely scratch the surface of what yep. I've prepared. I, I, yep. I think you know even <laughs> if I spent every second. Uh, watching something, it, I would only, you know, it would be like 5% of what I've actually loaded onto the, on the tablet. So what do you got? Um, all right, here's what I got. Uh, I got the new Bong Joon, so I got Netflix and I got uh, Prime Video uh, mm-hmm. and I got, um, you know, I, I, Apple uh, iTunes as well. So I got like okay. all those services. It's amazing, guys. Now, you can watch movies offline now from all those services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty awesome. So on, but I, I don't like where this is headed. You're, you're, you, you have Okja on I have tablet. Okja on the tablet. That's right. Oh, the new Bong man. Joon-ho movie. Oh, man. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I just stopped oh, watching Dave. that, by the way. I no, just stopped Dave. watching that. Oh, really? You didn't like it? No. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I, I was thinking that might be a future slash filmcast review, but... <laughs> we well, could if you want. It, I, it would be nice, but we'll also, God, God damn you, Dave, if you watch that movie on a tablet. Okay. You... I, look, look, we just Come talked on. about how maybe it's going to happen. Not definitely. <laughs> uh, all right. I have a bunch of movies like Little Men, The Tribe, Seek, mm-hmm. Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Oh, that's so good. Like, which one? Seeking yeah. a friend for the end of the world. It's a good yeah. movie. It'll make you feel very, very sad. Yeah, yeah that's uh, true. I've started watching Headshot on my last plane ride, the Timo Johanto movie, and uh, uh-huh. I'm looking forward to finishing it on this plane ride. That movie's <laughs> also a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Sarah Silverman's Speck of Dust, Other People, the um, the Molly Shannon movie. So none uh, of the TV series you need to catch up on. That's what well, I'm getting Okay, Well, so. oh, okay. The one that I'm really excited about is The Keepers, which I keep hearing about. Um Seven episodes of The Keepers I've loaded up, and I'm really looking forward to checking that out. Um, so Still no Americans. Okay. No Americans. Okay, nice so on, uh, on Prime, uh, my Prime video, I got I Love Dick and Sneaky Pete. Um, Sneaky Pete is so good. And uh, Lion. Uh, is I rented Lion for a dollar. Um, mm-hmm. I got Complete Unknown, the Rachel Weiss movie. Gleason, this uh, documentary that will probably make me really sad. Uh, Girl with All the Gifts. And Krisha, the first film... By uh, the guy who did It Comes at Night that we reviewed a couple weeks ago. So looking forward to those. And uh, in terms of the iTunes, uh, really like 
uh, like for iTunes, it's just like watching a lot of special features. So, uh-huh. for instance, I got the new Heat Blu-ray and got the like the digital version has special features and uh, John Wick Chapter Two. Looking forward to checking out the special features of that uh, and Arrival special features as well as well as Get Out special features. Like I've already nice. seen all those yeah. movies, but I haven't seen the special features yet. That's actually a great way to deal with some of those special features. Yeah, just take them on a the plane, plane or something. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to take them on. I don't know, consume them like podcasts almost. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I wish it was easier to consume them, like on the mm-hmm. go or something like that. But mm-hmm. uh, iTunes file sizes are massive. Like every iTunes movie is five gigabytes, you know. And if you download the same movie on you know Amazon Prime or Netflix, it's like eight hundred megabytes. It is kind of a pain. I, I have to ask, Dave. You have such a long backlog of TV shows <laughs> that you actually should be watching. You have not even touched. The Americans, like what? What are I've you? I've seen doing? the first like eight it's, episodes of the Americans. Okay, but, yeah. okay. But this is more, more the Americans, Americans is just too close to reality now. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, those are the things I'm I'm planning on watching. Just thought you how do you how do you decide when you sit down on the plane and you go, oh, I have this smorgasbord yeah. uh, in front of me, and you just fall asleep. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. I'm always like, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But uh, but well, do you do you sort of play it by mood at the time? You're like, I'm just going to wait and see whatever mood I'm in at the time. What's going to strike my fancy? Yeah, or? I mean, almost invariably, I end up watching the kind of stuff that you don't need to think about very much. Right, so for right. like, I have the Norm Macdonald, you know, Netflix special and the Sarah Silverman Netflix special, and those are things you can easily stop and start <laughs> without disrupting the flow of things. I'm probably not going to watch Okja on the plane. I'm just going to put that out there. I, I just uh, feel like I, I wanted the option, on. Devendra. I wanted the <laughs> option. Um, uh, do you have noise canceling wireless headphones for the plane? Yes, those yes, are right. essential. I, yeah, 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 totally, totally. Uh, but yeah, Jeff, I, it's really like what mood I feel in, and usually the mood I feel in is I don't want to think too hard. Um, <laughs> well, based yeah. on your your list of movies, all of them are thinkers. Yeah, and it's, and it's also them. it's also what movie am I okay watching while I'm physically in distress, <laughs> which is which is typically what you know a plane ride is like these days. So, uh, anyway, by the way, I, I would also recommend uh, Hassan Minaj's. Uh, oh yeah, I, I have Hassan Minaj's special on there. So good. I also got so good. Uh, it will Veer. make you laugh. It will make you cry. Oh nice. I also got Veer Das's new uh, special on there. So I, I didn't read everything off because there's actually even more than what I read. Mm. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, I appreciate you guys weighing in on it. Um, out of all those things I said, anything you you think I should prioritize, guys? Um, I think the yeah, comedy things are really great for the plane. Yeah, honestly, yeah. they're nice and light. Jeff, what were you gonna say? No, I agree with that. I already, I kind of spoke up when I yeah. heard things that I was all excited to be watching. But, There's also uh, all these. Uh, so I also got Wet Hot American Summer. Like I never actually watched uh, first day. The of first camp. one? No, no, no uh, the uh, the series on Netflix. Ooh. You've seen the film, right? I've seen the film, yep. Seen the film. Um, okay. And there's Enjoy. also all these random uh, Netflix movies that have piqued my interest but that I've never just watched <laughs> over time, like Tallulah, um, The Fundamentals of Caring with Paul Rudd. There's a new documentary called Nobody Speak, Trials of the Free Press. Um, so, you know, <laughs> next time we talk, I'll have watched some combination of some crazy-ass combination of all these movies. Um, I'm I'm probably gonna watch Lion, uh, which I rented on Amazon. That sounds like a good uh, plane movie. Yeah. And I was thinking Just... of thinking of putting on the Handmaiden and making someone <laughs> sitting next to me uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> we'll see. It's if, so easy to do. <laughs> we'll see yeah. if that happens. All right. Anyway, somebody's gonna call into the slash film court <laughs> and be like, Dave Chen was sitting next to me on a plane, and it was weird. Indeed. 
Indeed. I make it weird, Jeff. I make it weird. <laughs> All right. A uh, couple, couple news stories we want to mention real quick before we get to our review of Baby Driver. Firstly, uh, wanted to just give a shout-out to Michael Nyquist. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name correctly, but uh, he is uh, an actor who I have really grown to enjoy in the last few years. Uh, you guys might remember him from uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in the first John Wick movie. Uh, he, uh, A lot of American audiences may have first been exposed to him in uh, The Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but Which I think he was better in than Daniel Craig, honestly. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I might enjoy that performance more. Anyway, a great actor. I mean, this guy could do everything. You know, he could play a journalist mm-hmm. in Girl with Dragon Tattoo. He was ex-Special Forces insane dude fighting Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible <laughs> Ghost Protocol. Yep. Uh, a great actor. He passed away at the age of 56. So, so young. So sad. So young, yeah. yeah. Um, but... Really talented guy, and uh, just wanted to take a moment to say uh, his work is amazing, and he will be missed. Um, so, Michael Nyquist, you're you're awesome, and uh, we have your body of work to remember you by. Let's also talk about this news of the Han Solo movie. Now, <laughs> the the recording times really don't line up for for us <laughs> to talk about this in a very effective way. Right. Uh, when we talked about it on last week's episode, news broke right after that Ron Howard was going to be directing the Han Solo movie. Uh, since then, a lot of other details have spilled out. And, of course, like we're actually releasing this episode of the podcast, you know, the first week of July, so this will be very old by then. But, hey, we're still going to talk about it anyway. Um, we're recording this right now on, on June 29th. But, uh, yeah, so Ron Howard, guys. Ron Howard! Directing the new Star Wars movies. What do you, uh, what do you guys think? What do you guys think? Any, any thoughts? <laughs> I, I, I mean, have many feelings. In the abstract, if you had just said, hey, Ron Howard is directing a Star Wars movie without any of the other mm-hmm. story that's that's going along with it, a lot of hullabaloo that's uh, accompanied it, I would be thrilled. I would be excited. I mean, this is the guy that brought us Willow, right? I mean, uh, I I would be very excited to see mm-hmm. what Ron Howard does in that universe. I feel like he has been a fan of that universe and sort of I, one of those directors yeah. that, that brings – you know, fantasy kinds of of grandiose stories to the screen in an effective way. But this is weird. Like, what 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 is he going to do? This this movie is basically shot. I know there's going to be lots of reshoots. How much Ron Howard is going to be here? What what is this? This is such a messy messy topic. It, it doesn't really feel like a a true Ron Howard Star Wars movie. It feels like he's he's there because he's solid and can fix things. Mm-hmm. And they like him too. Like I believe right. he was one of the people Lucas was looking at around the prequels too. If they were ever going to do other directors, then. Um, and he, he, like, yeah, he oh, has God, the time. That had happened. That would have been interesting. I, the thing is, I find it hard. I, he's directed some great movies, like Apollo thirteen. Come Apollo on, Apollo thirteen, like, probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Seriously, you know, like, and yeah, even recently, incredible. Rush. I think he did a great job with Rush. Yeah, Rush my, is a solid movie. My big worry is that, yeah, he has been sort of slumming it with all the damn Da Vinci Code movies, and they're just not good. I'm sure they print money and they allow him to do a lot of other things, but they feel so lazy and so sad, and I just I just wish a little more could happen. Uh, maybe a purely directed Ron Howard movie would be more exciting. I don't know what... I don't know how he's going to change this one. So yeah. it's all a little weird. And he's also doing Seven Eves, um, which... I, which is another like space related thing, although it's more, it's more like Apollo 13 if it were a disaster movie. Um, so I don't even know how that's all going to fit into this. I guess he's just going to do like the rush job and help finish this movie. Yeah. Um, so 
Ron Howard, again, made some amazing films. Apollo 13, Frost, Nixon, Rush. Um, mm-hmm. Some people like A Beautiful Mind. You know, I, Cinderella I, Man. Cinderella yeah. Man. Like, guy who's made some great movies. Um, but I think the most brutal assessment of this news was delivered by Keith Phipps over at Uproxx, who tweeted, I'm surprised Lucasfilm is not worried that Ron Howard will overwhelm Han Solo with his signature directorial touches and abiding <laughs> thematic obsessions. <laughs> Which I just thought was, oh... That's brutal, you know, so because, because Ron Howard is these days regarded as kind of a, is journeyman the correct word, right? Like kind of this, this guy, like a very competent, skilled mm-hmm. uh, craftsman who doesn't necessarily have his own voice or obsessions. Like it doesn't yeah. have something that he's desperately trying to communicate to the world. Um, but is other than pre- Da Vinci's conspiracies. Right. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless is, is quite good at his job. Uh, a lot of interesting, just this, this is a huge news story right now that's going on. And, uh, there's, there's been a lot of details that spilled out about this, um, in the last few weeks, uh, or the last like week or so. Uh, the biggest one is essentially that Lord and Miller were trying to, were, were making a comedy, you know, with, uh, Han Solo. Like they, they thought their job was to make a comedy and, um, what Lucasfilm was going for was a, uh, Star Wars film with comedic elements, mm-hmm. and those are very different things, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, apparently, tension on the set was high. Like people at Lucasfilm felt like they weren't getting the material they needed to put together the film that they wanted to put together. Um, and you know, Phil, Lord and Miller have a have a tendency to go on set and find. Um, the scene in the room, find the scene on set with the actors there. Uh, but it would lead to a lot of riffing, a lot of improvisation. And uh, that's just not how uh, Lawrence Kasdan and Kathleen Kennedy like to do things. Lawrence Kasdan, um, who has helped to shepherd this series for decades, uh, he is very much of the belief that what you write on, in the script, that is what you film. Well, and, yeah, he came out of the theater, right? He, he's used to people respecting the words. Yeah. And that's not uh, what Lord and Miller were uh, delivering, right? They were riffing and... uh, There's no improv in body heat. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nice, Jeff. Uh, And so Lord and Miller were chafing under this tight control that uh, the producers were exerting. And, of course, they weren't going to play nice and just go quietly into that good night. Um, but apparently, the the culture clashes started immediately. According to Variety, uh, Kathleen Kennedy didn't even like the way uh, they folded their socks. I think that was a probably metaphorically speaking, um, but it just is like th- their their styles were so dramatically different. But you guys know that in, in Hollywood, uh, the first thing that every director does is is uh, the laundry, right? Yeah. You know that that's, that's the right. that's right. Um, always the process. Also, apparently, Alden Ehrenreich, uh, like a, an acting coach, was brought in to help Alden Ehrenreich out. Uh, and that's usually not a big deal, but it is uh-huh. kind of a bigger deal when it happens well into shooting. I, and I, I don't think necessarily it's because Alden Ehrenreich was not doing a good job, but just because there was a lot of conflicts about who Han Solo would actually be, you know? Right. Is right. he this jokester Man. Know, that's just riffing all the time? Or is There's he... such a great Hail Caesar joke here. Right, yeah. Or is he the guy, <laughs> is he the guy, like, they're trying to bring Han Solo to the point where he is the character at the beginning of Star Wars Episode Four, 
And I think there just might have been a huge disconnect there. It basically sounds like there was chaos in terms of, or not not chaos, but but mm-hmm. great discomfort on the set of uh, a producer and uh, or a set of producers and a set of directors that just were not aligned in terms of style or their vision for the film. Well, it's an it's an interesting thing because it sounds like these guys just weren't precious with the IP. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think the whole idea of bringing Kathleen Kennedy on was so that somebody would be around to be precious with the IP. Um, and, and that's an interesting thing. I don't know what's more interesting to have somebody kind of be, be a little more reckless with these great characters. I don't know. I kind of feel like they are a little precious to me and you can't mess mm-hmm. with them. I, I'm at the point now where like, I, I legit just don't even want this Han Solo movie. Just don't do it. I mean, as much as I wanted to see, uh, Young Lando, really. That's the most exciting part was seeing Young Lando. But I, I at this point, just let let Harrison Ford be Han Solo forever. Don't let any other actor play him. Just let it die. Just we we we. we he comes into existence the moment we meet him in Mos Eisley. That's that's all we need to know. Yeah, I mean this um, this will go on for quite a while. You know, um, the Phil uh, Lord and Chris Miller version of the film will become legend. Right, I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to be this. And there's movie. still going to be a lot of it there. They can't just axe this footage, right? So, <laughs> right. right, it's it going to. I'm imagining like weird ass tonal shifts, just like <laughs> going from Ron Howard sentimentality to whoa, 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 Lord and Miller doing some comedy here, and then back and forth. I don't know. Yeah, uh, but there, there will there will forever be talks about the version of the movie that was never finished and that we mm-hmm. never saw. Uh, yeah. And that's a terrible situation for Ron Howard to be stepping in. Also, uh, from a DGA perspective, it's unclear if Ron Howard will even be able to get credited as the director of this film. Because yeah, yeah. Um, so I wonder if he's more shot. like, you know, guys, I'm going to do this, but give give me my damn Chewbacca movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Howard's always one of the Chewbacca movies. <laughs> the Chewbacca movie, yes. <laughs> he's all about the Wookiee. Uh, so it, 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 it was, that a, was that a, a limp biscuit restaurant? Sure, sure, why not? Sure, why not? Yeah, it's a crazy story that's still unfolding, and yeah, I, I mean, the movie it it has a very challenging road ahead of it, <laughs> in my opinion. After these developments have spilled out into the open, I mean, it's just a very unfortunate situation like from a fan perspective you know like you jeff you're probably the biggest star wars fan on this podcast you're saying i don't want this movie anymore i don't i didn't want it at the beginning to yeah, be honest yeah but i, I think yeah. for a lot yeah. of other fans like it will be they'll forever question what this movie could have been and that's just and the, you know lord miller will never do another interview again without getting a question about it mm-hmm. yeah yeah it will, it will follow them for the rest of their career every People. single question on this film's press tour will be about Lord and Miller's yeah. contributions, you know, yeah. it that just it, it's a challenging situation for Ron Howard to step into. Um, but apparently, people were really happy when he stepped into it. Like uh, there is report that um, the the crew like applauded when uh, it was announced that Ron Howard would be uh, stepping in. Hold on, let me. Well, he's uh, a he's a guy with a tremendous reputation and of a positive reputation of being good to people and. As being very skilled, as you've said, I mean, I, I I bristle a little bit at people's sort of backhanded, like, well, you don't have a a vision or whatever. I don't know. I, if I see that there's a new Ron Howard movie coming out, I immediately want to see it without even knowing anything about it. Just the fact that he's directing it, it usually indicates a level of quality, a base level of quality. And I know you guys are are hard on the 
How did you? Uh, how did you like the Heart of the Sea, Jeff? I didn't see it. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. What about Inferno. I didn't see that either. But <laughs> angels and demons, Jeff. Okay. Um, okay so I, I, don't, I don't want to be a jerk. It's just more like this is. I I loved so much of what Ron Howard used to do, and I think what he's doing now has just been kind of it's been it's, it's been kind of rough. It has not lived up to what we feel like his potential yeah. is, because um, we think he's a really talented guy. Uh, but yeah, just to quote, uh, according to this story here, I'm reading of Vanity Fair now. Uh, the the news was such a relief to the crew that Ron Howard was directing that they reportedly broke out into applause by the end of the new director announcement meeting, uh, per the Hollywood Reporter, a celebration that was somber but in support of the movie. So that must uh, have been a rough time on set too. Like just like that limbo of you, you have no clue, you know, where this project is going to go. Yeah. Insane. Very challenging, very challenging time. Um, anyway, I, I, I don't know how to feel about this movie. You know, I don't know if I'm looking forward to it or not. Yeah. I, I, the big problem is we know that I, this is all happening and a, a lot of this happened with rogue one, maybe not to the same extent, but I'm interested you know, to see if yeah. they can salvage this one. You know, I'm interested yeah. uh, as a kind of intellectual exercise. I'm interested to see uh, yeah. whether well, it's going to be good. You know, Rogue mm-hmm. One turned out great. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so I, you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk. There's been a lot of talk also about like, is this whole technique working mm-hmm. of bringing these indie director or these you know yeah. kind of smaller directors onto these big films because you've had we want uh, your voice but not so loud. Yeah, Josh Trank. You got uh, Lord and Miller. Uh-huh. You got Gareth Edwards, and it's like this series is starting to become like not super appealing from a director standpoint. If if the uh, producer control is so tight, um, but that's how they like things over there, you know. Uh, same thing with uh, Edgar Wright and Ant Man, right? Like that was yeah. uh, was Josh Frank doing the Han Solo one, or was that another? No, he was doing um, something else, right? Hmm. Uh, yeah, he was doing. He was gonna do. Wasn't he gonna do episode? Not no, anymore. he was doing one of the spinoffs. Yeah, he's doing one of the Rogue spin-offs. One? Is he doing uh, Rogue One? I think it was the Han Solo movie. I think that really? might be Yeah. Yeah. This the movie mm-hmm. is cursed. If only, we, if only we had the internet in front of us. I'm I'm uh, looking. I just can't find like what specifically they're referring to. You know, yeah. one of the interesting things about Ron Howard though also is I would be very surprised if they didn't ask JJ to do it first. Right? Hmm. So uh-huh. I would be very surprised if there was Save the us JJ. Wasn't to oh. JJ, and he straight up must have said no. I mean, I'm basing yeah. this on nothing, but I, 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 don't, like I, don't, I actually don't call. think that's I don't think that's right at all. Actually, because no? they, they, there was apparently like big clashes between uh, JJ and the studio for um, for episode seven, mm. um, specifically about the release release date around that movie. Mm. Um, like he wanted to push it back, um, right? To make it more like a New Hope. Uh, here, uh, here we go. Um, I'm going to quote here from the Ankler newsletter by Richard Rushfield. Quote, of all the directors in this round of Star Wars films, J.J. Abrams had the most collegial relationship with Kennedy, coming to Lucasfilm as a top-tier A-list director and one who had known Kennedy since he was a teenage intern for Steven Spielberg. Nonetheless, the parting wasn't necessarily a happy one. J.J. wanted to be a producer on 8 and 9, and they wouldn't give it to him, an insider tells us. There is no love lost between those two. Anyway, Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, I, I, you know, I've said it before. I th- think you're kind of saying it again. It, it, it is what is ha- this is a machine that's bigger than any one creative person, yeah. <laughs> and that is what you're. I mean, Marvel is becoming that, and we're seeing those kind of clashes happening with Marvel movies as well. When they, you know, these these creators who have a certain vision and want to express themselves through these characters get on. That's not 
really the job. The job mm-hmm. is to serve the machine, create a quality product that fits into a very precise moving machine. And that's not a, an easy thing. You know who is a great at, at doing that? Ron Howard. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm sure. I, I think the the Trank thing, by the way, was uh, Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Because yeah. we did know about yeah. the, the Han Solo thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Jeff, that's a very good point. A lot of these franchises have now become producer driven, right? They're they're very by necessity. It right? Used by to, necessity. It used to be that like uh, television shows were very producer driven and films mm-hmm. were very director driven. Like the director was the auteur. He had final cut. He would make all these decisions. Um, that is no longer the case. That is no longer the case. And that's because, uh, much like television, right? In, in television, you have a showrunner or a producer that's there the whole time, and they hire directors for individual episodes. Sound familiar? Yeah. That's, what, yeah. that's what's going on now with movies, sense, where you yeah. have universes of movies that need to be consistent episode to episode, and you have an episode of a Marvel property or an episode of a, of a Star Wars property that needs to fit into a larger framework that it's going to work like mm-hmm. a television series. I yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Peter, movies Peter are becoming De- more like TV and TV is becoming more like movies. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of weird. Peter DeBruge actually wrote a great piece over Variety entitled Why Movies Need Directors Like Phil Lord and Chris Miller More Than Ever. And uh, he says here, do you want to know why Colin Trevorrow was picked to direct Jurassic World when his only previous credit was a nifty little sci-fi indie called Safety Not Guaranteed? It's because he plays well with others, willing to follow executive producer Steven Spielberg's lead when necessary. Going into the assignment, Trevorrow had no experience directing complicated action sequences or overseeing massive budget special effects. He didn't need it because those aspects of the movie were delegated to seasoned heads of the department. Of department, I should say, while Trevorrow focused on what he does best, handling the interpersonal chemistry between the lead characters. Um, so, end quote. That's a, I mean, that's a great summary. Uh, like, the, the way, I mean, Peter DeBruge paints a picture is that these, these producers are brought in to just put a little, a little like, kiss of their own, their own, uh, sure. their own like, style on it. Just a little, like, touch of the, of the style on the, on the movie. They're and, and that's traffic it. cops, you know? They're, they're mm-hmm. saying stop and go. And, and that's... Um, but, but yeah, That's, I mean, like, they're not, you know, like, uh, Fate of the Furious, like, F. Gary Gray, you know, the, the, the conclusion of that movie, uh, the big uh, ice chase sequence was shot before principal photography, before, like, the, they knew fully what the story of the movie would be, like, all that stuff. Uh, so it's crazy how much of uh, the cart comes before the horse. I want you to write to the ice chase. That's all we care about. <laughs> we got to get the ice chase in the movie. Like imagine, yeah, imagine that. Hey, there's an ice chase at the end of the movie, and like no matter what happens in this film, <laughs> you need to arrive at that ice chase by the. They're being chased blah. by a submarine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> blah, 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 ice chase. Blah blah blah. Credits. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Cha-ching. <laughs> and that's how the money gets made. <laughs> I mean, it's really a larger conversation about where we are with Hollywood, right? Where movies are billion-dollar endeavors uh, that that um, <laughs> are larger than a, a creative process, and they, you know, unfortunately, they're part of universes, they're part of theme parks and toy lines and all these things, and they. And they serve a very specific purpose, uh, and that purpose is money. And artistic freedom happens at a much lower price point for most people. Mm-hmm. There, there are a few directors that can still get away with it. You know, Christopher Nolan is one, but um, there's stu- there's still directors that can be creative and make big things. But mostly, big things aren't 
aren't really creative. Uh, big things are kind of uh, prescribed. Right. There are flashes of creativity in them. Sure. And they can be quite delightful. Indeed. You know? I don't mean to imply otherwise, and I appreciate you saying that. But that's why it's so rare that you have a movie like Baby Driver, which we're going to talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just uh, – and Edgar Wright has spoken like about how challenging it is to get an original film made in, in theaters. It, it is a Herculean task these days. Right. And so a, a movie like Baby Driver even existing and that you can see it in the multiplex is a miracle pretty much. Um, but yeah, there, there are flashes of, of brilliance in even some of these big movies and – uh, and they can can still be very enjoyable and and play to some of the best aspects of those genres, um, but Jeff is right. You know, movies mm-hmm. product these days, and that's that's kind of what it's come down to. I, I like how we're ending this as if Disney snipers were trained on our heads right now. <laughs> Just like we we like franchises. Yes, <laughs> let us live. You know what I like? I like mice. I love mice. <laughs> They're so adorable. <laughs> I love worlds, fantastical worlds. I love Lamp, guys. All right, let's move on. Uh, thanks to all the people who donated to the Slash Filmcast this week. Thanks to Marcel Della Hyde from Rotterdam, Netherlands. Thanks to Christian Hain from Muskegon, Michigan, and Michael Crowder from the United Kingdom. As well as Mr. Keep Cursing If You Feel Inclined to Do So. Um, so that was in counter to the person who said we shouldn't curse. And Mikko Usitalo from Sweden. Thanks so much for your contributions. Thanks also to new subscribers, Shannon McCarthy, uh, Chris Skorakis, Robert Polvmacher, Philip uh, Vuch. This, this knocking him out of the park. This, <laughs> is a this is a murderer's row of names, guys, uh, just in terms of the challenging. People, Phil- if, if your name is hard to pronounce, give us like phonetic something <laughs> give it us a pronunciation guide philip vukcevic <laughs> steve <laughs> steve bennett isaac kaufman miko usatalo again and simon owens and philip herrera for their contributions to the rate of two dollars per month if you want to support the slash filmcast go to paypal.me slash and the word slash film i'm sorry paypal.me and the word filmcast that's paypal.me slash filmcast I said that wrong again. <laughs> Just <laughs> if you want, if you want to support us uh, and help defray the cost of seeing movies, go to slashfilm.com. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. When you click on the tab slash filmcast, we'd really appreciate it. All the money you help uh, you donate goes to helping us uh, put on the show. So thanks so much to all of our donors and subscribers uh, this week. You guys are awesome. Hey guys, one last thing I wanted to mention before we get to our review. Uh, did any, of you, any of you have a chance to see Twin Peaks this week? Yes! <laughs> My God! Um, one of the most insane and bold hours of television I've ever witnessed in my, yeah. in, in my lifetime. So my did, did you come away appreciating that, Dave? Because I, I, I was really wondering as I was watching this, like, what, <laughs> what would Dave, Dave be gonna... thinking? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, I appreciated the ballsiness of it. You yes. know, it's just so ballsy. Um, but Jeff, I, I know you're not caught up. So, like, the closest analogy I can give is like, imagine if you were watching, let's see, um, the X Files, or so. I, what's another show you liked in the '90s? <laughs> uh, what I liked in the '90s. Yeah, give me a show you liked in the '90s. Uh, what was on in the '90s? Um, I sort of. I don't think you were watching TV in the '90s, Jeff, because all <laughs> of our in, '90s touchstones, you were not watching. I was in college, so no, I wasn't watching TV <laughs> in the '90s. Okay, just give me a show you like, Jeff. Just give me a give, The give Shield. Me, give me. Okay, imagine you're watching The Shield. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, the you know season 
uh, three episode eight of the Shield is the movie two thousand one with <laughs> characters from the Shield in the different roles. Oh, all right. <laughs> you know, like in terms of how visually striking it is, in terms of its relationship to the rest of the show, it's so out there and random, and also beautiful and bold. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah, so. I I loved it so much. It is definitely like to me that is the most twin peaksiest thing they've done, which was in addition to like the three minutes of floor sweeping, which happened a couple weeks ago too. Um, but just the the boldness of that and the beauty of it too. I love the fact that we get to see David Lynch play with all of these new toys with CG and with like drone photography, which wasn't that sequence, but we're seeing that all over the show too. So yeah, man, I I'm totally down with all of that. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Pretty crazy. And yeah, I mean, it, it was absolutely nuts. Um, and, you know, it was, a sh- it was an episode. I went on the, um, the uh, subreddit for Twin Peaks afterwards, and there was someone who wrote this, and it was so delightful. He said something along the lines of, like, oh man, I, I was starting to get, um, like, I was starting to lose my creative spark a little mm-hmm. bit, you know? And then I saw this episode, and I thought to myself, Maybe I can be creative again. You know, like it gave people actual hope for their lives. You know, that that a major premium cable network paid for this to happen and millions of people saw it is crazy. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's move on to our review of Baby Driver. So you're just starting your day or did you just get off? They call, I go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y Baby. This one you say listen to the music all the time? Is he uh, mental? Mental meaning slow. Was he slow? No. He had an accident when he was a kid. Still has a hum in the drum. Plays music to drown it out. And that's what makes him the best. That was from the trailer of Baby Driver, the newest film by writer-director Edgar Wright. Plot summary from IMDb reads, partially, after being coerced into working for a crime boss, a young getaway driver finds himself taking part in one last heist. Jeff Kanata... You had a pretty yes. good review of Baby Driver on your Twitter feed, right? You said this is a a, a movie that would result if yeah. Let me just yeah. yeah. Go it, ahead, it, go it, ahead, Jeff. Do it. No, it, yeah, Perform. it's uh, I, if if Reservoir Dogs and an OK Go video had a baby, <laughs> that baby would be Baby Driver. Oh, what, what did you and mean if, by that, Jeff? And if that doesn't sound good to you, you don't know what good is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, it. it Okay, go. If, maybe that's a little outdated reference. They were sort of early two thousands. Yeah, they, they're still releasing work pretty regularly. Yeah, have you <laughs> have right. you not seen their recent videos? They're pretty awesome. I have. I keep up. I'm did an you okay. See the, go. Did you see yeah, the one that's like shot in slow motion? Like it was amazing. I saw the one where they did all on the on, on the, the on the vomit plane? comet. Yeah, but they oh, did one. Amazing. They did one that was like all shot in slow motion. It was incredible. So that was like a couple yeah, months ago, Jeff. They, it was a couple months ago. It was not a couple months ago, Dave. It was more than that. <laughs> that was 2003. No, I'm just kidding. Jeff is with it, guys. I'm cool. <laughs> I know what the kids watch. 
Reservoir Dogs. That's what I was watching. <laughs> That's what I was watching in the nineties. Um, anyway, what I mean by that is <laughs> it is <laughs> kinetic and stylish, and uh, I mean the movie in a lot of ways borrows a lot of its its style and its inspiration from music videos and yeah. mm-hmm. music videos themselves. I think have kind of trended out when I was young. Music videos were a big deal, and they're I, you still, know, I remember they're they're still interesting, right? They still they're not as big a deal as they used to be, but people are still making really cool, interesting, kinetic music videos. Yeah, but when a new single came out, it was right. a big deal to have the video. No, you know, not so mm-hmm. much. You, you find it on YouTube, and you're like, it's just a way to watch the song, listen to the right, song. Right. Yeah. Um, but OK Go, I think, is really uh, <laughs> is really bucking that trend and makes makes each of their new videos an event and. The choreography of it. I mean, this movie yeah, is... They're still, and they're still making them, too. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I swear to God. Um, <laughs> uh, th- this movie is, is, is choreographed. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a prominent credit at the beginning of the film that says choreographer. I mean, it, it, is, it is almost a musical, but a musical in mm-hmm. a way that no musical has ever been. It's a post-postmodern musical. Uh, it is mix culture uh done as a film and it, it is still also a really cool heist movie and a really cool chase movie and i think um you know reservoir dogs is a heist movie insofar as it's about the relationships between all the crazy insane scary people that w- you know live in this universe that do heists and so is baby driver but it also has the heart of sort of a sweet music video at, at its center um <laughs> I loved it. I mean, it is uh, – it, it's so fun right from the beginning and it, it's, it knows exactly what it's doing. I'm one of those people and I wonder if you two are as well. I'm one of those people that loves having my jam come on oh, yeah. in the car, specifically yeah. in the car, all by myself in the car. I pop on my favorite song or – even better when my when my favorite song comes on the radio on its own, ah, oh, it, it, because it's it just it feels like it was synchronicity. It's synced up to my life, and I'm the windows down. It's a warm summer night. I'm driving fast, going home. The moon is out. My jam is on, and I do. I start bopping around in my seat and lip syncing on. Here comes the drop, and mm, and now here comes that line I love to say. And oh yeah, you know, like all of that stuff. <laughs> like that's the spirit that's the backbone uh, upon which this cool heist movie is is laid and and there's such a joy in that moment like the whole beginning of this film just sweeps you up into that joy and the movie is so stylized like i've never seen uh, a gunfight choreographed as if it's percussion in a song you know it is literally the percussion of the song and it, it there's a there's a fun in all of that and and then the story itself is really sweet the the actors that they that they have found in in these two lead roles uh are really really genuine feeling and they just they have a wonderful chemistry so i was swept up in that really my only criticism is that i feel like from a car chase perspective the movie shoots its its best shots too too soon Ooh. And it doesn't ever top itself. It's kind of got that James Bond uh, flaw where you know the coolest action sequence happens in the first ten minutes. Uh, but 
it more than makes up for that little bit of sadness uh, with so much other fun, cool stuff and so much investment in the story. I just wish like by the end we had another really cool, grandiose car chase. But Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean that's probably the, the thing that I feel like is the biggest weakness or one of the weaknesses of the movie is that – uh, the opening 15 minutes of this movie is so mind-blowingly good. Yeah. <laughs> so ridiculously awesome and spectacular that the rest of the movie just doesn't live up to it. Because it's – and I'm not saying that the rest of the movie is not good, but the opening is so good, guys. It's just yeah. so good. It's perfect. It's like practically perfect. There, yeah. there's people but that you, keep, you keep waiting around for more of that. Yeah. It's like, like, give me more of that. Oh, like, I, just, I want to feel the way I felt when you showed me that thing at the beginning. Yeah, that high again. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, people in my audience spontaneously bursting out into applause because some of the shots in that opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So spectacular. All right. Divinger Hardware, lay it on us. Yeah, I I love this movie too. So much style, so much energy. It's it's just like pure fun. And in a way, this movie feels like therapy to me. Like it feels like this is how Edgar Wright is getting over Ant-Man in a way. Like, you know what, guys? I, I Fuck it. I just want to do something really fun. I want to make a really fun action movie. And this feels like an action musical, like what you were saying, Jeff. Um, yeah, I love everything about it. Like, there's so much technical craft there's so much good stuff going on here uh there's some long takes as he's known for that don't even involve driving just baby walking down the street and there's just so much going on in the background of that scene the way it's all tied together it feels like a gene kelly musical while also feeling like a tarantino film and while also having some great chase sequences so uh like it's it's more successful than like drive as a driving action movie because that movie had like one good chase scene and not really much action afterwards. At least this one has a lot of great action later on. Um, There's a foot chase that I think is fantastic. Like one of the best we've seen in a very, very long time. Such a great music too. Like the entire movie. The entire movie, I would say like 80 to 90% Mm -hmm. of the movie has music playing during it. Yeah. It's Uh, it's, it's one of those movies where they clearly had to get the rights to the songs before (laughs) they could start shooting. Yeah. Yes, for sure. It is basically a very long music video, but to me, it's also like, this is pure cinema, right? A lot of this, there's no dialogue. There's just like action and storytelling through action and character development through action. And I love all of that. Uh, There is some stuff I want to get into spoilers because I think the last act uh is a little problem like it's messy and it kind of i think character motivations go out the window Uh, i still really enjoy the overall experience uh and i can't wait like this is a movie i just can't wait to rewatch again and again but the last act goes super messy yeah i mean i i just you know to be clear uh we're about to talk about spoilers in a second Mm -hmm. and we will bring up a lot of issues with this movie but I really enjoyed uh, Baby Driver. And this is a movie I'm probably going to go see a couple more times. I've already seen it once. I might see it one or two more times. Yeah, in, yeah in I've seen theater. it twice. It's um, so good. It's playing at the Cinerama in Seattle, which is like an, an amazing theater. And I cannot oh. wait to go see it there. I have to mention that I, I fortunately got to see it uh, in Dolby Atmos, one of those nice. really, really yeah. amazing, uh, you know, high picture quality, high sound. Laser projection. Seat. It was – and I just – lucked into that <laughs> it just happened to be the the time that i wanted and my goodness it couldn't have been a better better decision because uh, this movie shines with great audio and great visuals for sure 
Yeah. By the way, that is, if you ever have a chance, if you have a Dolby theater near you, that is just lean to that. Whenever you have a chance to do a screening there or see a movie there, uh, just because they get everything just right. So yeah. good. It, it costs a little a little extra, at mm-hmm. least at the theater that I had. The, the, the ticket price is a little more for being in that screen, but it is worth every penny. Before we jump to spoilers, just yeah. want to say a couple of things. I think Ansel Elgort, a guy I've liked in a couple of movies. I think he was in... Uh, what was it? One of those teen romance things. Um, he was in like the Divergent movies. The Divergent movies, but also the one about the kids, the cancer kids dying. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Fault in Our that Stars. That was him. Fault in that was him. I think that's also Divergence, isn't it? That was also Divergence. That's why I felt like watching Divergence. But it is – he is great in this movie. I love him so much. I finally get why everybody is really into him. And I love what Edgar Wright did with John Hamm. Like John Hamm is playing like – dirty 50s greaser in a way that is just like it's it's very compelling they've been like apparently he had pitched john ham this movie a long while ago like over five years ago i think and it took a while for it to come together but john ham stayed on the project all the while and i'm i'm very glad for it so i just want to say that i I think uh, lily james who plays the the female love interest in this movie is she is just the perfect perfect casting she Mm. is so vulnerable, just being, just looking at the camera. <laughs> she has a, just an amazing vulnerability that I find to be um, perfect for this part. It is, it is an inspired piece of casting, I think. Mm-hmm. I do want to acknowledge, I mean, um, unfortunately, we don't have any women on this particular episode of the podcast, but um, I did see uh, some tweets by Gabby Dunn the other night, uh, who was very disappointed in this movie, and uh, I just wanted to read off these tweets because I think there are people who will have this point of view, and I think it's Mm -hmm. a very valid point of view. Um, So this is uh, Gabby Dunn tweeting on June 28th, quote, the main female character in Baby Driver spends the third act in the passenger seat, and that's basically how she's written for the whole film. I'm floored by how lazily written the women were. Intense Madonna slash whore cliches, dead stereotypical women of color, no interests slash plans other than men's. True Romance is my favorite movie. It's messy and imperfect, but it never treats Alabama as useless and having no agency or life before Clarence. Spoiler, actual dialogue is the male lead asking the woman what her plans are the next day, and she says, whatever you're doing. She has no interests, past, agency, or friends. She literally likes the music he likes and is chill with throwing her life away for a dude she kissed once. <laughs> uh, That's a really strong point. Yeah, That's, it's all I, very I think true. it's totally yeah. valid, and I, I think mm-hmm. the female characters in this movie are pretty weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's just not the story that Edgar Wright is trying to tell in this movie. Um, and I, I yeah. can understand why people are offended by it, you know? Like, this movie is very much uh, male wish fulfillment. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's uh, Guillermo del Toro also had a great series of tweets about this, too, how you could read this movie allegorically as sort of like a fable, you know, boy saving girl and things like that. But, right. yeah, that's right. that problem is certainly there. And I wish it weren't. Yeah, Del Toro had this amazing uh, tweet storm about this movie, right? Uh, where he mm-hmm. talked about, I, I mean, firstly, like many, many directors have uh, said that this movie is amazing. William Friedkin, right? Director of The Exorcist, mm-hmm. uh, said that this movie is incredible. James Gunn said he's looking forward to seeing this movie. Um, but yeah, Guillermo del Toro, uh, del Toro on Twitter, uh, quote, 
said, the key to understanding it fully is in the fact that it is a fable, complete with its very own Disney prince and princess, but it is also rock and roll, meaning the magic exists in a dirty, genre-tainted world. The film is incredibly precise, flawlessly executed to its smallest detail, breathtaking Russian arm shots, real-world car mount and foot chases executed with the vigor and bravado of a Gene Kelly musical. This is an American in Paris on wheels and crack smoke. <laughs> Uh, end quote. It's yeah, awesome. I mean, yeah, it, it, all that's true. All that's true. All so true. yeah, if you if you view it as a fable, uh, then the lack of female character development isn't. No, it's it's still but, a problem. But, it's, but, but, yeah. but but it's like but th- then it's like well, that's a very kind of outmoded way of telling stories. And some like you know we've seen the uh, fa- like the mm-hmm. uh, handsome prince and uh, and beautiful princess being rescued story. Mm-hmm. Many, many times already, right? And I actually think if you were talking about these sorts of movies as a fable, like Drive is is very much a fable, like the hero and the big bad wolf and all all, all those things. But uh, that movie treats, you know, it's women a lot better, I think, and a lot more interestingly. Yeah, yeah uh, I would say it's a mixed bag in terms of how Drive treats women, you know, uh, better, uh, good and bad in, yeah. in, in some ways. But uh, anyway, they have agency. And I think just because this movie is so focused on being baby's story and being all about his this journey and kind of his redemption in a way that we didn't focus as much on the other people i wish we did because it i could have spent so much longer in this world the other thing we should probably bring up as a as a flaw is um you know we got this email from somebody criticizing the portrayal of tinnitus yeah in the, in the film yeah. yeah let me sorry jeff i mean i have some thoughts to say about that but go ahead uh well no i just I don't have a problem with that necessarily. I can understand objecting to it if you're uh, someone who's suffering from tinnitus and feel like that that malady is misrepresented in the movie, as it certainly is. It's used as a device not based on its real function in the world. But I'm reminded of how I was forced to defend Split for the same thing in regards to uh, dissociative personality disorder. And... I think they're both kind of doing the same thing. Both of these movies are not about the thing. They use it in a fantastic way uh, and it's a jumping off point to tell a a silly story that's not based in, in a rea- real version well, of those those uh, you know those problems. I, I want to give voice to both of these opinions. Rob from Queens wrote into slash from Cascimo.com. He saw the movie at Alamo Drafthouse in Brooklyn. Devendra, have you been? Oh, most definitely. Yeah, yeah it's a good theater. It's um, very good, yeah. So Rob wrote, thought the movie was entertaining, fun, and light, but I was left with something that was nagging me. For the past 11 years, I have had tinnitus in both years, requiring me to wear hearing aids to hear somewhat normally. While my loss isn't quite as dramatic as some people, it often makes it difficult to recognize some speech or often talking in loud and crowded settings. What bothered me is that the movie isn't really interested in anything about someone with hearing loss. It seems to be window dressing so that Edgar Wright can play a lot of music, which, while it's entertaining, is really a little galling when you live with it. Not to mention that someone with tinnitus, and granted I'm not familiar with all cases, would largely not be helped by playing loud music, or at least it wouldn't function in the way the the movie says it does. Baby can can not only function while playing music, he can also pay attention and hear everything that's being said. Playing music would probably be more overwhelming than uh, helpful to someone with that issue. Uh, end quote. So uh, one correction, I think uh, my understanding is the implication in the movie is that Baby can read lips. 
I don't I don't um, think it's implied, but I think that's a good it's a, explanation it's a very, for why that's very happening. possible. But and also, also his adopted father is deaf too, so it's sort of like something he may have learned. Right. It's also um I also saw thought that Merrill Barr uh wrote something very interesting. He he wrote basically the opposite of what Rob wrote uh, uh, to us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Meryl Barr tweeted last night, Baby Driver is a movie about a main character with something called tinnitus. Let me start here. When you have tinnitus, you're always hearing a constant ringing, not unlike what you hear in the shell shock scenes in Saving Private Ryan. The volume of the ringing is mild to severe, depending on different circumstances. However, what it ultimately means is the concept of silence is lost on you. Imagine that. Imagine never being able to experience true quiet ever, not ever knowing what it sounds like. A lack of silence means you often want to go in the opposite direction to compensate. You want to hear noise all the time because the alternative sucks. The best way to do this is with music. Now imagine this. Imagine living your life with music or a podcast blasting in your ears almost every minute of the day. Not because you want to, but because you have to all the time. It warps, it warps your perception of the world. Music inherently heightens everything. It makes something as simple as walking down the street more epic. When baby's walking down the street to get coffee and starts breaking out into random dance for no reason, I identified with that in a way I didn't know I could identify with something on screen. I've done this uh, to a lesser extent than baby. You get lost in the music because that heightened world is as second nature to you as a human voice. The rest of the world looks at you like a crazy person because to them, listening to music is a choice. It's an escape. This is where one of the criminals gets their reading of baby wrong. The music is not an escape. For baby, it's basically medication to make him a functional person not consumed by the distraction uh, he has naturally. It wouldn't play on screen, but tinnitus makes it hard to sleep to. Uh, baby probably has serious insomnia, music day in and day out, isolating you, but also coloring your world in a unique shade no one else is living. This is how I've always seen the world, and I literally watched an action hero version of myself with better music taste in that movie. It was fucking awesome. So yeah, thanks for this one, Edgar Wright. I'd hug you if I could. Nice. Okay. So it's a very different... Uh, opinion of how I, well, i'm glad meryl who i've talked to for a while on twitter as well i used to know him in new york um i'm glad that actually this rendering of tonight is actually holds true for some people and it shows like how these things just are different for different people yeah yeah, yeah indeed all right let's get the spoilers for baby driver starting right now now you're looking for the secret you're trying to see this coming no but you won't find it because of course you're not going to see this coming you're not really looking i have been puzzling over how it you don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what is up with that Kevin Spacey shit? Like, <laughs> I liked so it. I, it. The, I liked the, it. It, uh, the idea that Kevin Spacey, who earlier in the movie was threatening to kill Baby and all of his family, <laughs> would now just have a sudden about face at the end, I found to be pretty unbelievable. Because he, he was in love once, you see. And he saw them together. So it's all... I don't know. I liked it. <laughs> I mean, did you find it believable, Jeff, or did you just like it? I liked it because it was uh, an unexpected twist that he's not – we expected the showdown to be b- with him and the guy that has been super cool to baby the whole movie, i.e. John Hamm, uh, mm-hmm. Buddy, uh, is really the, the, the danger. I, I just – I thought that was a fun flip and I didn't – this isn't a movie where character motivation is, <laughs> is a big deal. I, it really feels it's, heightened. It I does feel like kind of a big deal though. Like this – 
After I'm enjoy, I enjoy the movie all the way through. Believable? You think that Kevin Spacey is believable at any point in the it, movie? It doesn't matter. Like if he has to be believable within the universe of this movie, right? That's how genre filmmaking works. And I can believe Kevin Spacey is this guy who like plans these heists and like gathers these crews and makes bank off of it as like king of Atlanta. And also, we didn't talk about Atlanta and how great it is that this show that this movie is shot on location and uses all those streets. Uh, but it's not it's not true to the character to me when we make this change at the end. Like he was always cool to baby while threatening him but this complete like oh you're in love so i'm gonna throw my life away to defend you now didn't seem right and i think part of the especially watching the movie a second time part of the thing is too like there are a lot of motivational issues uh, i guess throughout right they give baby a way to leave the deal and even kevin spacey wants out of the deal after that shit goes down with the cops and kevin spacey's like i don't want to do this and baby could just walk away at that point and i think he'd be scot-free and I don't even know why he sticks with it because as he does that and then they find all his tapes and they go beat up his adopted father. Like it's there are things that happen in this movie, especially towards the end. I don't know why they happen. And that yeah, like, what, takes does, away some enjoyment. Yeah. Why does baby uh, like they say, oh, well, baby, it's up to you. And baby says, well, I think we should continue on with this. Yeah. heist." As he has no reason to want. Yeah, he could have just said, let's call it off. And then easy out. Yeah. He, and then he, everybody he walks away. Led left. Maybe yeah, maybe it's because he needed the money from the heist. To flee, but no, he was going to run away that night, right? Yeah, and he had a stack of money. Like it's, there is no motivation there. The Kevin Spacey thing kind of comes out of the blue, and I think like the John Hamm thing. Kevin Spacey was the the moment I knew that (laughs) we're in a very specific kind of movie (laughs) is when Kevin Spacey is giving a speech and then stops and goes, "I just I just drew that while I was talking. How fucking cool is that?" (laughs) It's like, okay, well. We're, you know, he's basically yeah. talking to the audience. And you know, I think that, that was one take, by the way, I need to rewatch that, but I think that was one take where we were just watching him mm-hmm. talk and he, as he was drawing, and I think he did just, just like scrawl the whole thing out. Um, but yeah, it's very heightened. It's just, I wish, even within that heightened reality, it'd be nice if the characters kind of, you could have had Kevin Spacey do that thing and give it more motivational grounding. That's all. Speaking of things I, I kind of wish there had been more of, uh, I. I wish there was more of this world that that mm-hmm. uh, you know than what this movie depicts. I mean, Kevin Spacey's this guy who does heist, but you, I never really got a true feeling of mm-hmm. there being anything beyond this guy who's just kind of a mastermind at this, this stuff. You know, like yeah. uh, an example of a movie that does a quote unquote good job of this is uh, the John Wick series. Perhaps they take <laughs> a little too, like. With John Wick, it's like, oh, by the way, there's a whole society of homeless people that are assassins, you know, like, or yeah, there's, that's a whole, a good thing. there's a whole society of blank that are blank, you know, and um, and it's not really believable, but you get a sense that, oh, we're only seeing 3% of this whole universe right now. And I never felt that way with Baby Driver. Is I, I felt like we we're seeing pretty much the whole universe, yeah. you know. In this I movie. know. I mean, I I wouldn't say that because the movie is so specifically about Baby and kind of his journey and it's... It feels very personal in a way. It feels like this is Edgar Wright kind of wearing his heart on his sleeve. And I'm sure there's more he could do to expand this world. But the way we're focused on it right now, like these random criminals who come in and each have their own personalities. Love John Bernthal. Love Jamie Foxx. Um, like we, we understand the rules of a heist movie. This, But I guess what you're saying is true. Like this could very well just be like a Grand Theft Auto universe, right? Where there are virtual walls around everything and nothing greater is happening outside of it. I don't know if I needed well, just more than like, that. Yeah, like who, who yeah. is, you know, I, I, I don't know if maybe it's if I'm used to it or I'm conditioned uh-huh. to it or if it actually would make the movie better. But uh, who is Kevin Spacey working for? What is he doing with all this money? You know, like the man. I'm just, I'm just, it's not, it's not that it makes the movie worse or in any way right, that right, these right, questions right. aren't answered. I'm just like, 
I, I I wonder what the movie would have been like if there was a bigger world out there that yeah. uh, that you you're only you feel like you're only scratching the surface of. I could um, kind of see that, but I, what I really love is the fact that this movie is shot in Atlanta, and they actually set it in Atlanta, and you see a lot of familiar streets. Uh, there's that crazy winding um, bunch of uh, highways called Spaghetti Junction, which is insane, just insane to drive through, and setting a chase movie even around there is kind of fascinating. So I think I love that it has an actual sense of place, and I guess it felt grounded in a world that was like, we are in the city, and there's this crazy stuff happening, and yeah, in Reservoir Dogs, you don't see really what's happening outside of those dudes and that, right. you know, supposed bank thing. I had a problem. I, I totally agree with you guys about the moment mm-hmm. where they're like, baby, it's up to you. Do we do it or not do it? He, there's zero reason for him to say do it. Mm-hmm. Zero. Well, uh, we got a we got a climax this action movie. Yeah, right. It's, it felt well, very, maybe very he weird. didn't want to draw suspicion to him. So but yeah, but it's I, also weird yeah. that he leaves it. That it's weird that he yeah. leaves it up to Baby. Like Kevin Spacey. Yeah, that is weird too. But Kevin Spacey wants an out, and Baby has an out, and he doesn't take it. And then it's uh, weird. It is but, super weird. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up too is that maybe this is a minor nit, but uh-huh. <laughs> we watched them like take take down uh, armored. <laughs> trucks and yep. walk away with you know duffel bags full of cash and split up all that money the big last job that's worth all the risk with these people that distrust each other greatly is the post office and the hey thing man, that post office is bank that is actually i found that ingenious because there's a shit well, ton of money at the post office and those well, they don't, they're not stealing money they're, they're stealing, stealing the money but that's all true they have a magical machine that prints literally prints money because it but, prints the money orders yeah but it's they need it's like a two step process. So like these guys are like, okay, we're gonna. They have the machine, Jeff. Come on. No, they don't. They have a guy who has the machine. Yeah, they have a guy who has the machine. Who has a nose it's, problem. It's, it's very convoluted, but I found it kind of. No, but the it's point, funny. Yeah. The point I'm trying to make is that <laughs> that they're willing to make this big risk and 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 stick it out one more night, mm-hmm. even though the the heat is on them, to get this paper that is worthless to them, and they'll have to hang out. While they go to some other dude, and even when they're like, "Oh, John Ham's character has a guy," so now we're gonna have to wait for that guy to magically convert it into actual dollars, and that we're gonna split up. And so, it felt so weird that they would take this is the job that we're gonna all risk right, our, right. everything for. It just—it's a little too complex, I guess, or not exciting enough for a one last job. You're saying. Yeah, it it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any <laughs> they, sense. They they basically pulled the heist on the most heavily guarded post office in in the country. I think no, it was a, it, was, it was one guard, and then <laughs> shit just kind of hit the fan. Let, let me ask you guys this: uh, the I th- I found the very very end of this movie to be yeah. really bizarre. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I and my, not cool. My thinking is that it was Edgar Wright's way of. Giving these people a happy ending, uh, free and clear, right? Mm-hmm. That if yeah. if he had just driven off with her, oh, he would have. They would have lived happily ever after, but they would have been looking over their shoulder for the rest of their lives. But well, in I this like ending, that he actually has to pay for his crimes in some way. Like that. That's. I think that's an honest, and you don't ever see that in movies where they actually have to right. go and you know right. have some. There are some uh, consequences. But the most unbelievable thing in this movie, uh, uh, in a lot of unbelievable things, is that she would wait five years for him. <laughs> Why is that, is that dream, unbelievable? Like, it's true love, Jeff. It's true, it's love. true love. I almost feel like watching that wait, scene wait, a second it, time. No, Jeff, yeah. Jeff, why, why is it unbelievable? There's no such thing as a person waiting around five years for a, 
for somebody that's in jail. That's There's not n- that is not true it at happens. all, Jeff. Have you ever seen Orange Maybe is the New Black? Oh, oh, another fictional thing? Oh yeah, no, but I mean, maybe maybe they had an arrangement, and she, you know, you you mean you mean the show based on a true story? Yes, Jeff. I mean, I mean, where the guy, where the guy cheats on her with her best friend? (laughs) Okay, well, all that stuff is fake, but you know, the idea, (laughs) the the, um, you know, the woman, Piper, Piper, whatever her name, Piper Chapman going to jail—that was a real thing. Anyway. Anyway, point point being, right lots, of people, lots of people wait for people in jail. Okay, yes, you're right. They were married. But, you know, Baby and what's-her-name were basically married Guys, in this movie. did that last scene even happen? Like, that's the thing. I, I've, rewatching it the second time, it's, I guess it's, it's shot in a way that's like one of his dream sequences. But, but it I guess the color. He, it, transform, it transforms from black and white to color, so that means yeah. it's real. But it'll, the color still looks like it's set in the 50s. Like it's their costuming, her her costuming, and everything. It still feels a little, a little off. I almost wonder if like, did we flash forward five years, or is this just like a happy dream of his? Uh, like a happy say, dream of it, his after he like touches the he he's yeah. lost his hearing, and he touches the um the speaker. How sad was that? The speaker, right? And yeah. and like yeah. feels the music from his mom, right? Yeah, yeah. That that kind of got me. But I that all this ending stuff, I actually do think it's. While it's unique to have your hero kind of pay for his crimes and he got off a little light too, even though it's he, he had to be in jail for several years because like he had uh, some good behavior things or people people talked about how good he was to them. Uh, that was I, a beautiful moment, by the way. I, I just have to say I that really choked me up because for the, for the one time in cinema, it's like, oh, being a good person matters for something. It actually counts. Doing, trying to do the right thing and having an impact on on sort of peripheral people actually matters. I, I just loved that sentiment that the movie mm-hmm. professes at the end is, oh, hey, little things that you do to other human beings actually matter. And it, I think it needs to be said more in today's world. Mm-hmm. I just – yeah, I almost wonder if it would have been – if they had just driven off and even though they would never know if they're safe like that actually – thematically seems to fit better too because the movie kind of grinds to a little halt to do all this final stuff so i don't know i just found that a little odd and the fact that he just becomes super action hero dude like when he's not driving like after he kills jamie fox impales him uh doesn't really react to that and then like we're off on like a jason Bourne foot chase uh that there's a lot of stuff happening at the end i'm like uh Okay, I see what you're trying to do, movie, and I'm I'm having fun with it. But if I stop to think about why this is happening or why this character can do this and why he's pulling off headshots, um, yeah, then it it becomes a little less enjoyable, I guess. All right. Well, despite those nits, I think it's a movie that we still really enjoyed. It just, yeah, the there's some really uh, strange decisions that were made in the final. I would say 15 minutes of the movie that just mm-hmm. uh, you know we're we're bringing but, up and chatting, talking out. But guys. That first fifteen minutes of the movie, oh. um, you'll never have that high back again. Um, uh, <laughs> the moment where he goes under the overpass and forces that car to switch places with him oh, so good is so badass. Yeah. I mean, the idea that there would be two identical red cars to his uh, there is a little a little contrived. But I forgave it immediately because of how badass so that badass. moment was. That one, that one e-brake, reverse e-brake turn, which is, it's in the trailer, so a lot of people have seen it, but it still works so well. And uh, this movie, entirely practical, 
uh, you know, car chases. Like there's no CG going on here. Yeah. So it all feel feels like, really great and grounded. I feel like somebody went to the stunt driver and said, what is the coolest thing you can do <laughs> with a car? And well, they if the went, road was a little wet. <laughs> yeah. Just slight a little. That's super cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, well, that's our review of Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, uh, a movie we enjoyed. We'd recommend you check it out. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our music comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper is from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. In the meantime, Jeff Kanata, where can I find more of your work on the internet this week? Well, if you want to hear me talk about video games, I have two opportunities for you. I have a weekly video game show called DLC that I do with a co-host and a guest every week on 5x5. That's 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I have a daily show called Newest, Latest, Best that's on Anchor and is now available as a podcast. You can find that on iTunes and on Google Play. So search for newest, latest, best, or my own name, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, I also do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net, including my review of Master of None Season 2. Next week, we'll be reviewing Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, yeah. Andrew and I have seen it. We loved it. We can't wait to talk about it. And I'm pretty sure Jeff is going to lose his damn mind when he's... <laughs> it's going to be an episode. It'll like the direct opposite of our emotions during the Transformers episode. It'll be that. <laughs> Let's hope so. Now we, we've built... The hype is so big now. Can it possibly live up to it? Uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, with uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Slashdown.com. We're out. Watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good side, bad, it's the Slash Filmcast. For all the news and the movies coming out, cause you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.